Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. So I'm just going to pray. Thank you, Father. Um, thank you for the truth articulated in that wonderful uh, presentation. Uh, video uh, that we are on a journey and that we have a real faith uh, that exists in the reality of this world that it's not a faith that is intimidated or ashamed uh, in the face of suffering or struggle it's not a faith that has to apologize um, for the bad things that happen but it is a faith that's resilient and resolute that can stand um, not with answers but with truth in the face of all of the evil that goes on, that we do not have to be ashamed when we struggle, uh, when we face uh, the vicissitudes of life, but that we can uh, be resolute and just know that you love us, God. That we're not, we're not, fa- we've not failed, and you've not failed, God. If we don't have the answers, thank you, Father. Uh, in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, so today, on doing the next installment of the Jesus Is um, sessions. So today we're on to Jesus Is the Truth. So in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about Jesus being the way. So today we're going to focus on Jesus being the truth. Now, I need to remind you, uh, my slides, I've got no control. Oh, okay. Um, that's cool. So I might have to lean on you a bit there, Luke. So I just need to remind you of the context because this is a really naughty one when we come to talking about Jesus as the truth. Um, so I want to remind you of the context that it's in. So um, good expositionary preaching, I guess. We're going to drill into the text. So we're talking about John 14. So the whole point of uh, John's gospel is to tell us that Jesus is God. So just like uh, my, my failed um, illustration that... Uh, like Christopher Nolan films always have uh, non-linear storytelling elements. The Gospel of John always has references to Jesus being God. Okay, because if we don't double down on this aspect of the context that John is telling us that Jesus is God, we're going to get lost when we start to think about what that means when we say Jesus is the truth. Okay, and I'm going to come on and unpack that. But what I really want to say now is that I love where we are as a community that we talk openly about lament, mm. that we talk openly about mental health, that we can actually do a presentation around Psalm 22, mm. that we're not afraid to say, my God, my God, where are you? Mm. Life can be rubbish. A challenge uh, that came to me, I don't know if you've ever heard of Michael Hardin, but about seven or eight years ago, he, he made a statement to say, Christianity needs to be able to stand in honesty at the gates of Auschwitz and still be able to worship our God. Mm. Now, I I think that Christianity struggles to do that. Mm. I think that we're often embarrassed in the face of human suffering Mm. and we breeze on by. We cannot stand Good Friday or Holy Saturday. We have to, have to, have to rush on Mm. to Easter Sunday. Because we are embarrassed, we are intimidated by the notion that there was a Good Friday and a Holy Saturday. 
And so with all this in mind, we are in the period of Lent. So that colours my thinking, that shades what I want to say to you today because we're in the period of Lent. So at a different period in the year, this might have been a more rosy um, sermon, but I make no apologies for it. I feel this is exactly where we're at as a church. And I, I said to Susie, I thought it was beautiful what she shared about Psalm 23. And strangely or not strangely, given the nature of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to land there when I finish. I'm going to land exactly there. So the first thing is then, remember, we're in the Gospel of John. John's trying to tell us that Jesus is God. So every time Jesus uses these I am statements throughout the Gospel of John, and we've covered this quite a lot, and it's in the last blog if you, if you need to review, um, please do go check out the blog. Jesus is making an almost explicit statement that he is one with the Father. So I'm just going to read... Um, that was a nice picture of a rock, by the way. <laughs> it ties in with the theme somewhere. Um, I feel like I need to do more pictures. I've, been coming, I've become increasingly aware recently that I think very much in words. And I articulate myself, obviously, with words. But my thoughts are logical sentences strung together. Whereas um, other people don't think like that. So sometimes my sermons, my blogs, people don't follow them as well as I think they should be followed. And I realised that Steve actually is a tremendous communicator because he thinks in pictures and he articulates stories in pictures. And so apologies if you don't follow me, um, but you're stuck with me. So there. So John 14. So John 14, amazingly enough, follows on from John 13. And John 13 is all about the Last Supper and Jesus telling his disciples that they will fail. One of you is going to betray me. One of you who dips his bread in this cup will betray me. Obviously, you're referring to Judas. And then Peter says, oh, but I'll never betray you. Ah, oh, yeah, wait a minute, Pierre. You will. You will. And then he says this in really small font, so you can't really read it. But it's John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't you think that's just our Jesus? You're all going to fail, but don't worry. Don't worry about it. I've got you. You don't have me, but I have you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. How beautiful is that? When Jesus is really drilling into the crooks of the message, I'm going to come back. So that you will be where I am. That's the whole point and purpose. For you to be fully present with my presence. I will come back and take you. So that where I am you may be also. And that you will know the way to the place I am going. Thomas said to him like we all want to say. Lord we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him to clear everything up. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you know me, then you will know the Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The whole point, to know the Father through Jesus Christ. And then Philip says, uh, again, what we'd want to say, Lord, show us the Father then and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you all of this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? So Philip is asking about the Father, and Jesus is saying about knowing himself. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does these works. Believe me that I am the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then just believe me because of the works themselves. So when we're going to talk about the truth, that's the context. Jesus is the truth. So why is it so important that we locate the truth within that statement of Jesus Christ being one with the Father? Just take a moment. What does the truth mean to you? Just be silent and still. When I say the truth... Get past all of your religious kind of thing, because like, oh, we're in Sunday school and Jesus is the correct answer. Get past all of that. Literally, just think about what do you think when I say the truth? Where does that take you? I found for myself that like Pontius Pilate, who's not a good character to embody uh, the, the Gospels, but what is truth? What is truth? Mm. I'm going, to, I'm going to do a sermon about Jesus being the truth. What, what is the truth? And then, if you're honest, or if your brain works like me, I don't know which one, you get into all sorts of strange, complicated territory when we start talking about the truth. Because we start talking about philosophical terms. What is the truth? Oh, it's the correspondence between our communication about reality and the reality itself. Or we get to talk about our epistemology, how we know what we know. Well, we know reality because it's the truth and therefore the truth is what we know of reality. Uh, we start to trip over our own language, our philology. It's this crazy maze of ideas when you start to talk about the truth. I'm kind of looking at Pete because I know he's done some philosophy, so you, this might resonate with you a bit. But when we start talking about the truth, we get quickly lost and far away from Jesus when Jesus says he is the truth. So now we have to keep reminding ourselves, keep drawing ourselves back to where Jesus says that he is the truth. He's saying he is the truth in the context that I am one with the Father. So how can we articulate something true about the truth that Jesus is the truth in this particular context? How do we say something meaningful? How do we say something that isn't appealing just to metaphysicians? And I struggled with this. And this is where kind of it might sound a bit morose. Um, but again, I'm leaning into this Lent season to experience it for what it is. I've been reading a book uh, by Nicholas Walterstorff. Okay, now Nicholas Walterstorff is the professor of philosophical theology at Yale. Um, that sounds very impressive, but I'm not talking about his theology or his philosophy. Uh, I've been reading his book called Lament for a Sin. Back in the 80s, Nicholas Walterstorff's oldest son, Eric, uh, died in a mountaineering accident. Um, he, he was an avid mountaineering, he was in the Alps, and, and, and he fell. And he died, and Nicholas, to process his grief, um, decided that he would write down what he was going through. Not for publication particularly, he just decided to help him process his grief as a theologian, as a philosopher, as a father, as a human being, he started to write down the whole process of this grief. 
and it's heart-rending because he articulates such a deep truth about our God and about our faith and about the frailty and fragility of our lives and our being <laughs> that it's just stunning and that's why I love that this church community we're not afraid to lean into these things anymore I think we used to be we used to need to rush on to God is wonderful God is brilliant God is good um, but that's not always our experience and that's okay because that wasn't always Jesus' experience and he was God mm-hmm. And if Easter tells us anything, it tells us that these things, these are sacred moments that we experience when we experience our own brokenness, our own failure, our own frailty. And so this book that I've been reading, just heartaching. Um, And this is the only way I can figure out how to tell you something meaningful about Jesus being the truth. Okay, It's not to show off that I'm reading macabre books or anything like that. So as he starts to continue, uh, as Nicholas starts to contemplate uh, the nature of what he's actually lost in losing his eldest son, he starts to reflect, and and he flies over from the states to Munich, where Eric had an apartment, and he looks around, and and, it, and all he sees is Eric. All of the signs in this apartment point to his son. Everything about it. There's architecture books because Eric was training to be an architect. He, architecture books on the coffee table he had Indonesian spices in the spice rack in the kitchen because he was particularly fond of travel and culture and the foods that he discovered and other places he had notes scribbled on notepads about the best way to ascend certain mountainsides in Europe there was this kind of obsessive tidiness about the apartment and all of these things pointed to Eric they were all expressions of the Ericness of Eric Everything that Nicholas perceived and felt was Eric in this space. As he claimed the body of his son to go back uh, to the States to be buried, Nicholas laments that the body was there, but it was cold with the coldness of death, but that Eric, he, had gone. He takes this line uh, from the Psalms. The flower withers, but the effect still remains. And to help Nicholas vocalise and articulate the pain and the loss he was feeling, he turned to a poet, Gerard Manley Hopkins. I don't know if any of you have heard of him. He's a particularly famous English poet, well-beloved amongst theologians, apparently. And Gerard Manley Hopkins has this idea unique to himself about the inscape of something um, inscape uh, I think there's another is, no there isn't don't worry about it inscape is defined uh, so we're going to get into kind of literary criticism territory now inscape is described as the individually distinctive inner structure or nature of a thing hence the essence of a natural object which being perceived through the moment of illumination, an epiphany of sorts, if you will, reveals the unity of all creation. Now that is a rather long-handed and complicated way of saying when Nicholas walked into Eric's apartment, he saw the evidence of Eric there. He perceived the inscape of Eric. He perceived the truth of Eric, if you will, in everything that was there. 
He knew that the inscape had gone from Eric's physical body, but the like a flower withers, but the effects still remain. The inscape, the truth of Eric, Eric's innate Ericness, still remained. Residually in memories, in reflections, in the space that is left in Nicholas's heart, is the inscape of Eric. As Walterstorff remembers his son and observes his character and reflects on all of those memories, he speaks of Eric's inscape. Everything that made Eric Eric was demonstrated through Eric, how Eric lived and the imprint that Eric left on his environment and on the people around him, in their memories of him. Everything pointed to this inscape, the truth of Eric. And to help us grasp hold of this, I'm going to turn to the poet, Gerard Manny Hopkins. Um, there's a poem that's going to be read, and it's called As Kingfishers Catch Fire. And you might recognise this because Eugene Peterson... Sorry. That's fine, that's probably better than what I'm about to say anyway. Um, Eugene Peterson um, is, a, is a big fan, or was a big fan of Gerard Manny Hopkins. So G- Eugene Peterson had two books named after lines in this poem. So one was... A Kingfisher, as Kingfishers Catch Fire, and another one is Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. So I'm going to not butcher this poem because it's beautiful. I'm going to let somebody else perform this poem. As Kingfishers Catch Fire, Dragonflies Draw Flame. As tumbled over rim and roundy well stones ring. Like each tuck string tells, each hung bell's bow swung finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same, deals out that being indoors each one dwells, selves, goes itself, myself it speaks and spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. I say more. The just man justices, keeps grace that keeps all his goings graces, acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ, for Christ plays in ten thousand places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his to the Father through the features of men's faces. So if you caught that, I'm not one for poetry particularly. I find it very difficult to uh, cope with poetry. But I actually found this one tremendously moving. And this one kind of really conveys uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins' notion of inscape. The very essence of a thing is perceived through its activity. The being of a thing is acknowledged and known by its doing. There is no discrepancy between a being and its doing. A, the doing of a being is fully coherent with what it is so in the poem it talks about what I do is me for that I came the just man justices that is a just man will be known by the justice he performs a hung bell is known by the note it sounds when swung thus flinging out its broad name 
The heart of something is revealed through its interactions with the world. Its inscape can be beheld, it can be seen, it can be felt, it can be experienced. Just like Eric's apartment spoke of Eric. The peculiar spices in the spice rack, the books on the coffee table, the neatness and orderliness of the room. It spoke to Walter Stuff about his son. He could still perceive the truth of Eric, the Ericness of Eric. He could still experience that. All of those things pointed back to Eric. They called Nicholas back to Eric. But more importantly, or not more importantly, but in, in a corresponding way, it also pointed Nicholas back to Eric's creator. There is a life that was in Eric that drew Nicholas in, that inscape. And ultimately, all things point back to the creator. The inscape of each individual person is a doing of God. And therefore, is part of God's own inscape. I hope you follow that thought. That can be quite um, abstractive. Uh, I'm Simon, and everything I do is Simoning. But God created me. I'm, I'm, I'm a Godding of God. So I'm part of God's inscape. So when you perceive my inscape, at some point, if you're very perceptive, you can find your way back to the Creator. So now we're going to go on to, oh, I might even have this. Is that going to work? No, okay. Uh, we're going on to Hebrew now. Um, because, of course, uh, I've talked to you about a philosophical theologian. I've talked to you about poetry, so now I'm going to talk about Hebrew language. Okay, so bear all that in mind about inscape. The Hebrew word for truth is emet. And it carries this idea, the root of emet is about making firm, making something tangible, rock, uh, solid, steadfast, enduring. There's all sorts of wonderful things you can talk about when you talk about the word emet. If you go Google it, uh, you'll get all sorts of funky things like John Mastrovani does about the letters. Um, I'm not going to go there, I'm just going to talk about the meaning of the word. So the, the, the idea of truth is that it makes something concrete, firm. Reliable, enduring, steadfast, resilient, like a mountain, which is why I had the picture of a mountain, by the way. Just... But there's a whole constellation of words that orbit this idea of truth, of emet. The word faith, belief, trust, trustworthy, reliability, sustenance, nourishment, support, all revolve around this notion of something being made for So when we talk about the truth, it's something that is rock solid, it's sure, it's steady, it's unfailing. It's a reference point that you can trust because it's immovable. It is the only true reference point that you could possibly have the truth. I could have picked any number of psalms to try and articulate this and we're going back to poetry now. This is a psalm articulating the truth about God. And again, tiny font, uh, deliberately just to test your eyes. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. So there's one word in the constellation of words around truth. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. 
Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge. Another word that circulates around the word for truth. A fortress of defence. Again, another word image that circulates around this notion of truth. To save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, your, your namesake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Another word that revolves around this idea of truth. You are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. For you have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Emet. And then skipping on to the end of the psalm. O Lord, O love the Lord, all you his saints. For the Lord preserves. Another word that circulates around this notion of truth. The faithful, another word that circulates around this notion of truth. And fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen. Another word that revolves around this idea of truth. Your heart. All you who hope in the Lord. I'll read that again without my own interruptions. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge. A fortress of defence to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your namesake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of the truth. O, Lo o love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. The idea that God is the truth, the firm foundation. That he is the immovable reference point for all of our life leads to so many things. Because that is the place where we go to hide, where we find refuge, where we find sustenance, where we find nourishment, where we find shelter. He is trustworthy because he alone is immovable. We can trust in his righteousness because that is unchanging. We can commit our ways to him because he is the only one that is faithful, that is unchanging. It generates hope in us because he is always who he is. And we've experienced him to be that shelter already. And even if we have not personally experienced that he is that place of shelter, we know that others have experienced that place of shelter. And like Luke alluded to, we believe that it's the same God. And he is unchangeable, impassable in the technical theological term, which often gets completely mangled in what it means. But God is the firm foundation. He is the sure reference point and therefore we can hope. And so coupling all that together, the inscape and the firm foundation, what do we get? Well, we get Jesus. Jesus is not making... An abstract philosophical point. Just in case lurking amongst the fishermen and tax collectors of his disciples, there is a philosopher or a metaphysician that's going to go, oh yeah, I get that Jesus. Well done, mate. Jesus is not trying to tell us something that we need to pontificate on for, for endless minutes like I have. He's making a confession about being the demonstrable inscape of God that is trustworthy and true. The godness of God 
is incarnated in Jesus Christ. Or better yet, let's make it a verb. When God is Godding, it looks like Jesus. Jesus is the inscape of God. This is why in the same breath Jesus saying, I am the truth, he can also go on to say, if you have known me, you will know my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And that is a trustworthy reference point. And I'm going to just come in to finish now. I don't know if any of you have heard of Richard Wumbrand. He wrote a particularly... uh, potent book called Tortured for Christ. I came across uh, Richard Wumbrand. He was the person that started off the charity called Voice of the Martyrs. Um, I came across him uh, when I was at Open Doors because this was another ministry that worked with persecuted Christians. And so a quick history of Richard Wumbrand. He was a Lutheran priest in Romania during the communist uh, days in the 1950s. Uh, They tried to stamp out Christianity very violently and Christians were rounded up and imprisoned tortured, mutilated drugged to the point of insensibility where they couldn't even remember their own names and Richard Wombrand wrote a book on his reflections after he was released because the thing is this is that through the torments that he faced he realised that all of Christianity All of what we do, all of the singing, the reading, the preaching, the gathering together, the sacraments, all of our theology, it's all just scaffolding. And that's not meant to denigrate it or put it down, but that's meant to put the thing that is most important in the most important place. I love all of those things. I absolutely love all of those things. With the highest form of love that I can imagine to have for things, okay? I'm not putting those things aside. But he realised, through the tortures that he faced, that they would just scaffold in to help us get to the most important thing. They're all methods, tools, steps on the way to the thing that we want. It's Jesus Christ. The presence of Jesus Christ. And this is what I felt like Susie was saying earlier. That you doubled down on Psalm 23 because it led you to Jesus Christ. All of these things that we have are just a framework to help us engage with God. They are not the thing itself. And I love this. This has always stuck with me over the last kind of 25 years. Jesus is the truth. The Bible is the truth about the truth. Theology is the truth about the truth about the truth. A good sermon is the truth about the truth about the truth about the truth. It is not the truth. The truth is God alone. Around this truth, there is a scaffolding of words, of theologies and of exposition. None of these is of any help in the time of suffering. It is only the truth himself who is of help. And we have to penetrate through sermons, through theological books, through everything which is words and be bound up with the reality of God himself. We knew Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. 
when you pass through suffering, you realise that it was never meant by God that Psalm 23 should strengthen you. It is the Lord who can strengthen you, not the psalm, that speaks of him so doing. It is not enough to have the psalm. You must have the one about whom the psalm speaks. Jesus Christ is the truth of God. God's Godding looks like Jesus. God's very Godness is exampled in Jesus Christ. And we perceive it because he is active. And it is firm. And it is true. And it is a rock solid foundation. It never wavers. It never changes. So to close in prayer. May you know Jesus Christ, the inscape of God, the truth. May you experience him as the truth of God and the truth about God. May you know his steadfastness even when you waver. May you know his faithfulness even when you find belief to be hard. And may your feet know the firm foundation of the rock of our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.